Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and joining me is the tax man's biggest fear, Zach Mabry. Zach, I can hear a lot of mouse clicking back there. You Googling the internet? I I am. I'm Googling up a storm. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, no, that's just my mouse clicking. And I, I, you said weekly podcast, but uh, all all thanks to me, we uh, we delayed a week. So we'll be one week behind until we eventually do like a double feature. Oh, wow. A double? Uh, sorry? Well, you know, a, a double a two-hour episode. Oh, man, that's going to be crazy. You can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at, hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach, is it Zach Mabry? Z-A-C Mabry. Email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes. Rate and review us if you want. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. We uh, We got some new reviews up on iTunes, I saw. So we're slowly but surely getting rated five stars by more and more people, Zach. It's exci- It's exciting times around the old Roman Circus podcast. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, of course, you know, feel free to be honest and give us um, the true rating is, as long as you're going to give us five stars. And otherwise, uh, just, you know, um, maybe, you know, if you can't say anything nice, you know, or just, you know, shoot us an email. That's right. Zach, be forewarned, I had a few Mountain Dew kickstarts today, so I am feeling weird and ready to go. Right. Well, um, I didn't know that people still drank Mountain Dew, so that's exciting. It's Mountain Dew kickstart, Zach. It's what is that? All, all the watered-down flavor of a Mountain Dew with less sugar and more stuff that makes you feel weird. Did you have to like go online and download to them, or sorry, donate to them, and then they they like send you those, or <laughs> yeah. what? What is the tie-in with Kickstarter? It's supposed to be a Mountain Dew with extra energy. Extra energy, yeah. I, I like that. So it has. I, I drink. I was gonna say it has it literally has literally has like a third of the sugar, but it has extra whatever they deem as energy and they just shoot it right on in there wow i drink these little energy thing they're called e plus shots and I, I mean i don't have very many of them in a given month but um they've got like adaptogenic herbs which i i don't know what that even means but it apparently these are not bad for you but they're they're like five hour energies made with natural things i'm are those I'm a big fan. I, are those the uh, essential oils of the herb family <laughs> i think that's sort of what that is like you're either an adaptogenic herb person or an essential oil person or maybe you can be both but uh <laughs> yeah i think that they're along the same vein good i always i always wanted to know what that word was as we learned in our liturgical year there are a lot of words that are hard to pronounce so aptogenic is just another one we can add to septuagesima right but so we're gonna since we're gonna say it right it's adaptogenic like adapt you know yeah like adapt and then togenic so adapt togenic oh yeah adaptogenic okay 
if if anyone wants to explain those to us, uh, feel free to send us an email or or I guess throw it anonymously in our curious cat, which just gets blown up with questions. Is is <laughs> is curious cat all anonymous? Is that the deal? No, you don't have to be anonymous on curious cat. Okay, uh, but uh, it's sort of part of the. You know, this it's kind of how it works. So, like, if you look at anyone's questions, they're basically all anonymous. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I mean, I'm, I found it kind of useful because there's people who I really don't uh, necessarily agree with everything they say, but they have a curious cat, and so I can go ask them a question. And, you know, you ask it constructively, and they just give you their actual thoughts. You know, they don't get defensive, and it doesn't create an argument, and right. it doesn't seem like you're trying to troll them. So it's actually pretty neat, I think. Um to do uh i noticed that everybody that has a curious cat was asked um what are your thoughts on on eastern orthodoxy and so (laughs) it was kind of fun reading all the different responses on that because obviously you know we're at like a thousand years of 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 that and so you know there's varied responses to that question and so yeah it was kind of neat seeing everybody get be asked it yeah, that's uh I did not know what Curious Cat was until we started this podcast. So there's a lot I'm fairly new to Catholic Twitter in general and now everyone appears to be giving it up for Lent. So just while I'm getting in the swing of things, I have to basically be on an island for 40 days. Yeah, I don't I still don't really think I understand it because I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people that I followed that tweet about Catholic stuff and I I guess, like, that's all there is to it. I'm not really sure. But, um, yeah, I was confused. When it first was mentioned to me, um, it was actually my friend Rachel texted me and was like, Catholic Twitter is going crazy about, you know, whatever it was. And I was like, what is Catholic Twitter? I thought it was, like, a different app or something. <laughs> yeah. like, that was right when, um, what is that? Gab had come out. I think oh, once I'd heard of this. Right. And Gab is like the alt-right uh, sort of Twitter, not Twitter. It's actually owned by Muslim, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, so I was like, what is it? Is everyone just running off of Twitter? But then I realized it's it's just like networks of people. And so you also have like black Twitter and things like that. that oh, yeah. Pretty funny. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's good stuff. They uh, For sure. Um, yeah. So I'll if anyone's not giving up Twitter for Lent, come and chat with Roman Circus Pod. Speaking of which, speaking of giving up things for Lent, Zach, are you pumped that Valentine's Day is next Wednesday? Yes, Ash Valentine's Day, as I have it on my calendar. Yeah. I know, I finally have an excuse for not having a date. I saw... I'm fasting. (laughs) I saw a picture that... Someone said the priest should do ashes like this, and it was a a heart of ashes on a forehead. And I was like, "How about a priest doesn't do that? <laughs> how about we, how about we just stick to the cross?" What... I bet hoverboard priest from the internet does it, but I don't. I don't really know what hoverboard priest has been up to in the oh, months since the hoverboard video. Didn't he get uh, reprimanded for that? Oh, I hadn't heard that. I mean. I'll just say I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, just be, you know, because that helps people see the 
the importance of, of decorum at the mass and it, you know, I mean, I, I kind of want a hoverboard and I think they're awesome. Um, and there's, you know, 99% of, of time and place for them. So, you know, nothing against the hoverboard. Yeah. There's only like one place not appropriate for a hoverboard. I also like soccer Jersey priest, but listen, we don't have to talk about, you know, the pre the different categories of priests and all their priestly. Right. The sad thing is, is there'll be millions of, or not millions, but you know, tens of thousands of priests, um, giving people their first communion today, uh, giving someone their last sacraments today, um, hearing a confession that somebody has been, you know, delayed 25 years and they're going to come back to the sacraments. And then it's, it's sad that there'll be a priest that, you know, puts on like a puppy mask at mass and they, they get all the attention. (laughs) Um, when there's, there's just a lot of, you know, wonderful priests out there that are, Excellent. And even the ones that, that get, you know, uh, become online in trouble, 99% of their contributions to the church are also, you know, much more worthy of discussion. Uh, so it's kind of unfortunate we'll get fixated on on those few things. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's good debating, and it obviously sets off all these, you know, quote-unquote, the trads versus, mm-hmm. you know, these groups. But the... The funny thing is, a lot of priests, I don't think they even have time for debates like that. They're busy, you know, hearing confessions, praying to the divine office. Post the video of hoverboard priests to own the trads. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. That's a, So that's apparently also a meme Yeah. to, to speak like that, because now like, everything is a meme. Right. And so I don't, again, that's another thing I don't fully understand what is and isn't a meme, but... Uh, do something to own the something yeah is uh is quite memorific so i i also got taken to task by woke space jesuit a few days ago oh yeah you got smacked down by woke space jesuit and hopefully learned something from that yeah matthew yeah that was a that was a vicious Vicious, vicious rollicking at the hands of uh, old WSJ. Yeah, it's funny because people will quote WSJ, and I will instantly be like, "That was not in the Wall Street Journal." And then <laughs> I will remember that much, much more famous WSJ is woke space Jesuit. Right. So, um, yeah, that's been the source of some. I actually assume that he is listening to this podcast, so, you know, be a pal. Or we broadcast in space. Yeah, yeah, we are the wokest. But enough rambling about me getting owned on Twitter or what they say is owned. I think I I won that battle, Zach. But, uh... Okay, yeah. Let's let's talk about the, the main event, the... Uh, giving giving up things for Lent, fasting for Lent, all of this this Lenten practices. Let's break it down a little bit. All right. Well, it's the perfect time to do that because the liturgical season that we're in right now is the season of Septuagesima. Right. And so Septuagesima Sunday was uh, two Sundays previous, and the season is sort of broadly referred to under that Sunday. This past Sunday was um, Sexagesima, Sexagesima Sunday. I know the favorite the the Sunday that 
every seventh grader remembers the name of um, mm-hmm. was this week and uh, had a very long epistle, as as people maybe noticed. Um, and, of course, people have seen at Mass that there's no Gloria and that the priests are in their violet vestments um, as we sort of ease our way into the season. And so, yeah, if you're late to Mass, you probably are going to arrive midway through the epistle because with no Gloria, it, it goes quick, those uh, beginning rites, which we'll talk more about in our forthcoming episode about the ritual of the Mass. Um, but yeah, so this is our time to prepare, to reflect on um, what we're going to do for Lent. And it, historically, it was more practical because you know they didn't have uh, Uber Eats and whatnot. <laughs> and so they would actually, part of this season was eating all of the food that you couldn't have after Lent. And so, you know... Couldn't um, have during Lent, you say? Oh, during Lent, yes. Uh, so... And this was more so in the East, and I, I think it endures till today in the Eastern Catholic uh, kind of communities, yeah, is the, the a East. cheese fair. Right. They have a big party, and they eat all of their dairy. It's like a big ice cream cheese fest. Um, and then they do the thing, the same thing with meat. They have a big uh, sort of cookout, I guess, and they, they eat all their meat because they um, won't be eating – they won't need that meat in the – in their diet during yeah, Lent, yeah, the and Eastern so it could go rite, bad before Easter. The Eastern Rite is intense when it comes to what they fast on during Lent. I was, I actually met with Father Blockchain today to get some spiritual direction, and mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, he was. We were going through what the Eastern Rite does about how it's no, they. they don't do what like no dairy, no meat, and they also don't do substitutions. So, like if you you don't have butter, but you also don't have margarine. So it's like all sorts oh, well, of things like that. Margarine is heinous. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just something that's, you should, should practice in everyday life. Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, it, the idea is you're giving up the delicious spread mm-hmm. too, so you're not like it's not legalistic like oh i'm gonna give up butter i'm gonna give up you know butter and buttery things right yeah yeah yeah. it gets kind of gets kind of dicey if you give up if you give up say soda but you're just pounding like uh arnold palmer's the whole time you know like Mm -hmm. it's so actually that's kind of something we can talk about is the idea of Fasting, but also, you know, fasting, but replacing with something different. I don't know. We can we can touch on that. What what do you want to start with? Let's just go with that. We've been. You want to continue along what you were talking about? Um. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I kind of. I, I kind of. I'm uh, sorry. I kind of jumped in on you. Well, it's it's an exciting season, and you know, by far a favorite of the many saints, and so that's yeah. understandable. Um. I think one thing that's needed is to get the perspective of history, because obviously, um, you know, we're in a church that spans now 2000 years and, and uh, what a wild ride it's been. Oh, absolutely. Um, never a dull moment. And so it's always good to look at what, you know, what, what were the ingredients for a saint over the the centuries? Mm -hmm. And that will inform, you know, what, 
choices we make today because we obviously have a much higher degree of um, of choice now in how we observe Lent. And so sure. you know, the, the best thing to look at is well, what what got them into heaven. So uh, historically, they would Lent kind of became stricter and stricter to where by about the turn of the last millennia, um, you had one meal a day. And that one meal was after Vespers. And Vespers is sort of the evening prayer uh, of the church. Priests are, are still obligated to say it as well as nuns. Um, we scrapped a whole section on that for one episode that will be in the bonus material one day. Yeah. But uh, So that's the church's daily prayer uh, in the evening with the Psalms. They could eat after that. And then that meal, you know, by at least... Um, Passion Tide, so the fifth Sunday of Lent and beyond, that meal had no animal products, and so not just no meat like we're used to. I mean, no, no dairy, no lard, no butter. Yeah, uh, I guess butter is dairy. No eggs, um, and so there's like a million explanations you can find for why we paint Easter eggs. But one of them, and I mean, I I don't know if any of them are true, but this one makes sense, is that it was a practical thing of we're not eating eggs until after Easter. They're not going to keep that long, and so as medieval Christians tended to do with just everything they touched, they decided to make it beautiful. Yeah. And so they, they painted the eggs. Um, somebody can fact check us if that's true. I've heard that explanation, but similar to like Halloween, there's, you know, 50 different versions of how it came to be, but this one's charming. So we're, you know, we go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the practice. And that meal had to be like eight ounces of food. I mean, they measured it and they were not kidding. And, that was actually a big um, divide between uh, the Christians during this time and then the Muslims, because it was sort of during that time period that um, these Islamic groups began to invade uh, Christendom, and the you know, the Christians would would sort of scoff at the practice because um, the, of all the fasting that came with being uh, Christian, being part of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and they would look at the observations of, of the non-Christians and especially the Muslims and sort of think, you know, how, how weak is that? You know, how, you know, how silly to just, um, you know, fast, you know, a little bit each year, but only when the sun's up and then, you know, kind of just, you know, all bets are off as soon as the sun goes down. And, you know, if you think about it now, um, you know, the, the, the Muslims, especially in America, who uh, uphold Ramadan are, you know, it's, it's fascinating to people because, you know, it's, it's countercultural and, and people aren't used to seeing anyone um, commit to their religion in a way that, that's inconvenient. And so, yeah. you know, regaining the you know, Christian practice of fasting is an important thing to do. Um, and it, it's interesting that that the tables were sort of flipped historically, um, and that the Christian observations were were considered much more challenging. Um, so then, gradually, things started to loosen up. I guess they decided, "Hey, this is uh, this is really hard, and it's people can't get to mass if they're fainting." Um, so uh, one interesting thing is that the 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 rule continued that you would have your meal after Vespers. And so gradually Vespers itself started moving. And uh, during Lent, it was uh, like 7 a.m. Yeah. 
No, I, I, during Lent, I believe, uh, to this day, Vespers is set at noon. Okay. Um, and then, then you have your noon meal um, during Lent. And that way, the main meal tends to be lunch now. Um, so it you know, breaks up the, you know, the hottest part of the day. And, of course, there were always, from the very beginning, exemptions for anybody who was, was sick or, sure, sure. Uh, or pregnant or was a manual labor and, you know, absolutely couldn't, um, you know, maintain the fasting. But, you know, I imagine that a lot of people that qualified for an exemption were pretty uh, hesitant to actually take it because they wanted to become holy. And so um, a lot of times we're like looking for the like, oh, I don't have to do it because, you know, I have a boo boo. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's, it's good to it's good to, you know, to understand. Yes, legally speaking, maybe I. I do or not, but you know, talk with your spiritual director or I guess yeah, that's just where doctor. where pr- yeah, where prudence comes in. You don't want to be stupid, but you want to maintain the practice, right? Yes, um, but you know, the, the the practice is no good if you're like you want to maintain the practice. You don't want to be sat in a hotel, in a not a hotel room, a hospital room, the opposite of a hotel room. Because you were fainting a bunch because you were just being an idiot. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's, at that point it becomes not penance. Right. Um, so you want to be, you know, have have discretion with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's important. And so what, what also developed was the practice of taking collations. And so uh, I think this developed in France where they would, um, they would have, you know, a piece of bread and coffee in the morning. Right. Um, and then gradually the practice of having something before bed happened. Col- collations um, so, in the English parlance is like snacks or small meals. Not even small meal, because that might be too big, but more like, yeah, snacks. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a basically a snack. And that's where we get, like, the modern rendering is, you know, you get a meal and, and two snacks. Um, that don't that don't equal the size of the main meal. Yes, and I, I've heard all sorts of things about how the meal, you know, like the the col- the snacks are supposed to fit in one hand, or uh, <laughs> I don't. I mean, you know, if that helps you mark your thing, I mean, I'm not really here to like rain on anyone's parade. They, I, I don't think that that's an official thing. They don't say um, which hand, so you just find Shaquille O'Neal. Dump a bunch of snacks into his hand and go to town. Yeah, yeah, he can hold a whole pound of goldfish in one hand. <laughs> yeah, um, a bird bath. But uh, <laughs> the and then yes, you can also drink uh, calorie-free water. You know, to your heart's desire, or not water. You know, calorie-free drinks to your heart's desire. And I think for the most part, ordinary liquids it talks about. So you know, coffee, tea. Um, yeah, I think you can even take wine with dinner should you choose to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can't have, like, a protein shake. You know, a protein shake could be, could be one of your snacks or something. Um, or, like, a smoothie. Because that's just food, uh, you know, pre-digested for you. So, you know, th- that's the idea there. And, you know, again, it's not about being legalistic, and it's not about starving yourself, and it's certainly not about losing weight. Um, so that, you know, this stuff I would, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, if you read, uh, if you read scripture and you look at the old Testament, especially, you can see how, um, specific our Lord is in spelling out the rituals that he wants us to uphold. And so, absolutely, uh, you know, I, I think highly of, 
of the idea of being very precise in practices. But as far as like getting out a scale to measure your food, I, I don't think that that's you know necessary unless you know for some reason it's super helpful. I think the idea is you know wake up, have a piece of toast and and your coffee, um, you know have your main meal at some point, and then you know have a, a snack you know at the end of the day. And, and, you know, that's sort of the thing, you know, you can kind of play with that, but, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend carrying around like a digital scale and, um, you know, all of that, uh, you know, all this stuff was organic and obviously these people didn't have, you know, they weren't sitting there throwing out a bunch of food because it maybe was the wrong portion. So, you know, it's basically just to say, don't, don't worry too much about that stuff. Don't overthink it. Um, and then also gradually the restrictions began to be lifted on uh, on the abstinence piece, the not eating meat and animal products. Um, there was pretty much no restrictions by the you know sort of by the 19th and 20th centuries. The the abstinence was down to just meat itself, and so you, know, you could have dairy, you could have um, lard, and and that kind of stuff. You just couldn't have you know a delicious hamburger <laughs> yeah. if you were abstaining. Uh, and then the days of abstinence also began to dwindle so that basically by the 60s, the practice was um, fasting, like we said. So one main meal, two collations, uh, Monday through Saturday, um, and then abstaining on, on Friday and Saturday. Um, and in some parts, I think even just Friday. And right. then, of course, Ash Wednesday had abstaining, too. And so what you did on the days that were not Friday or Saturday or Sunday um, was you could have meat at your your main meal. That's called partial abstinence, where you know you don't have meat at the two collations, but at that main meal, um, you know you can have a delicious hamburger. <laughs> um, and because our Lord lifted so many dietary restrictions, you can even have a cheeseburger um, or you know chicken with eggs or anything like that. Um, and and then Sundays, you know, you, you can just gorge yourself uh to until you can't move i mean not really because you'll be sick but you know there's not fasting happening on on sundays right during lent and the, the sundays are actually called in lent so the rest of the seasons you'd have like the 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 fourth sunday of epiphany or something uh during lent it's the sunday you know the, the third sunday in lent so uh you know it's a miniature easter during during those times um, so that's the practice. And then, oh, uh, canon law spells out, you know, when, you know, when would you have, you know, transgressed the line of, of being, you know, disobedient to the point of, of it being a sin. And that would basically be if you were to not abstain from meat on Ash Wednesday or all the Fridays of Lent, um, and not fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, um, unless, you know, there's a, a an exception that applies like you're with child or, or you're um, nursing a child, or um, you know, man, you know the things that the you know the prudence that applies to saying it would be, you know, very dangerous for you to fast. Um, and so, you know, for those things, it, it would be, um, it, it would be, you know, a grave sin, which, under the right circumstances, constitutes a mortal sin uh, to, to disregard those. And then, you know, for the rest of Lent, the fasting, abstaining. Um, is sort of done out of charity for our Lord and um, the desire to grow in the virtue of fasting, since we know that you can only something can only be a virtue if it's a habit. And so, um, the habit of fasting, you know, requires or the virtue of fasting requires the habit, which means you know more than 
more than just, you know, a couple times a year. It, it's a season. So, yeah, that's uh, that's 2,000 years of, of <laughs> Linden history. Okay. Um, are you ready for the quiz? Yeah. Sexagesima. Did I get yes, that right? And that's okay. where we're at now. So I, what we've got I, I one for- week... I was going to say, I already forgot the name of the herb. Adaptogenic herb, sexagesima, and then the history of Lent. That's, uh, that's our quiz thus far. Yeah. It's, it's on the syllabus, Matthew. Right. Um, <laughs> wolfberry is the name of the herb. Uh, so um, knowing that you know, the ancestors took this very seriously, I think, is why... Um, you know that that's kind of all the reason that we need because we can see what they built as far as the civilization and how you know they carried the faith through. I mean, they didn't even have print. You know, they they couldn't they couldn't afford. You had to be like crazy wealthy to afford a Bible because right. it took you know a whole household of people copying for weeks and weeks. People people um, misunderstood. One of the things in the past is you know how they used to have Bibles chained to the church. Mm-hmm. And people think that's because they didn't want like the common people reading the Bible. No, it's because the Bibles were expensive. You didn't want people stealing your Bible, right? I mean, inexpensive, as in it took you know time and money. Yeah, a lot. I mean, and you know, because ultimately, all costs for anything are you paying people because that's where money you know money always goes to a person. So even if you're yeah. like. Well, paper costs money. It's like, well, yeah, that's because people have to cut down trees. So it, it took a lot of human labor right. to produce a Bible and, you know, make sure that it was accurate and they copied it by hand. And right. I mean, if it was if you stole the one out of the church, a whole town would not have access to the word anymore. And so, you know, that's yeah, I, I've always heard that. Oh, they chained them down. And it's like, well, there was one per town and it took half the town to produce. I mean, yeah, I understand that. You know, it's. It's like you, you know, you, you lock up the, the water tower because you want everybody to have access to water. And if somebody comes and snatches all of it, you know, so, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. You the next time they, no, yeah, the next time they tell you that the evil Catholics didn't want the Bible getting in the hands of the common people, just laugh them off. Yeah. I know. They'll tell them that the evil Catholics had way better schemes than that. And we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll do an episode on Um, yeah no so yeah that's kind of one of the things i'm not saying be ignorant about it but i've always kind of liked the idea of doing something just because there have been hundreds if not thousands of years of people doing that same thing you know what i mean like out of respect if they did it and they're the ones that built the church and then the people following them maintain the church by doing this where you never you never get too wise or too advanced to not do what they did right no and that, i mean that's really the virtue of piety essentially is that you're um you know out of 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 piety towards matt baker uh, the pious matt baker the pious pious the the 13th oh man um, here it comes I know, and the odd number piouses were always the best. Uh, so you're, um, yeah, I mean, we're basically saying, you know, absent 
some compelling reason to contrary, you sort of give preference to what what came before. And and you know, as the as laymen, that's sort of our our job is that we receive what has been given to us by the ancestors, and and we pass it on. You know, the apostles primarily, and mm-hmm. we we pass it on to the next generation. And you know, we do that through you know a variety of ways. Obviously, you know, collecting great works of spiritual. Uh, of spiritual writings, the writings of the authors, um, you know, artwork, uh, chants, pa- passing chants on, um, you know, the liturgy. Obviously, you know, the the core of the liturgy goes back to Gregory the Great, but um, and actually, you know, beyond that, but that's sort of the oldest, you know, printed copies. But it's it's understood that it was already viewed as ancient, even in his day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at Trent, that uh, was really more of a smoothing out of regional differences. Very little was done to the, you know, I mean, the mass was hardly touched all the way up till this day. I mean, the most drastic changes happened with like Holy Week in the fifties. Um, so, uh, you know, we receive that. It's you know it's called the monument, a tradition. You receive the monument, you pass the monument on, um, and and that's sort of the the role. And so, yeah, with the Lenten practices, we receive what, uh, what, you know, what the ancients did for Lent, uh, what made them holy and what helped them, uh, you know, thoroughly just flood the, the world in, in charity. Uh, we, we see that and we do it. And, you know, obviously if it, if it backfires and makes people less virtuous then we retool, but for the most part, we can assume, you know, what worked then works now, uh, you know, even even the most you know out there theory of evolution doesn't doesn't give space for people to be that much different uh, in the span of two thousand years. So <laughs> true. Um, so yeah, and that's what it's kind of all about is deciding you know what exactly am I going to do? Um, and there's a neat handout that a a priest friend of mine gave me. Um, I need to figure out how to upload it so we can post it in the show notes, but it sort of has, it helps you put like pen to paper on, um, you know, here's what I'm going to do for Lent because it's, it's too easy to like, this is what I do with new year's resolutions is I kind of go, okay, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to go jogging every day, which I would never do, but you know, and then if I miss a day, I'll say, I'm going to go jogging every Tuesday. Right. And you know, you keep changing it until you haven't possibly, uh, missed it. I'm going to consider jogging every other week. Yeah, you know, and that's the, um, you know, that's kind of the the reason that, you know, he, this priest recommends putting pen to paper. Right. Um, and his handout kind of goes through, you know, the, the things to do. And, you know, one of them is a kind of voluntary amendment of character. Because a lot of times people do, they're like, okay, for Lent, I want to, um, you know, stop being late to work. And, you know, Okay, that's not a penance, but it's an amendment of character, and you know why not? Why not just go ahead and 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 put a space for that so that that thing can get get taken care of, and you can pick something like that, and that's very charitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, though, you pick like what is it that you're going to do that's a sacrifice, and then what are your you know spiritual? So on the natural level, and that's where like fasting comes in. And then on a spiritual level, what, um, you know, devotions, what uh, supernatural virtues, what types of things are you going to, uh, you know, 
hone in on during right. that time. Yes. And so, and then, you know, basically you fill out the little handout, pray over it, of course, and then you just take it right into uh, the confessional. And um, that's where you can discuss it with, uh, you could talk to Father Blockchain about it. And I did today. Did you? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, and so, you know, that's where it's, it's nice. So, yeah, step one, voluntary amendment of life. And you say, in this category, I'm going to do blank. Step two, acts of penance. In this category, I'm going to do blank. Uh, step three, works of charity. You know, I'm going to do the And the examples it gives are pray the rosary every day. Uh, didn't, didn't we recommend that once? I think we, we did. Yeah. Um, are you still doing that? Sure. Of course. Oh, good. If you ever stop, I'll, I'll like lose all faith in the practice. So I'm, I'm glad that you're, <laughs> um, you know, another example he said is attend daily mass as much as possible or read sacred scripture blank minutes a day, spend blank additional time every day. Um, you know, reading about the lives of the saints, increase spiritual reading, make a daily visit to the most blessed sacrament. It's neat. A lot of people actually do that. You would never know, but they just take five minutes to pop into a church. Um, I, I didn't know that was as common. And I've, I've met a lot of people that say that they they find the, the closest church to their office and they just pop in, say hello and goodbye, and, and go on their way. I actually... Um, so we there's a little monastery about uh, less than a mile from my apartment. And it's it's kind of off the beaten path as much as you can be in this part of town. And I'll go up there and sit. I try and go up there a couple times a week and just sit. It has perpetual adoration, but I do see a ton of people, not a ton, a decent amount of people. They do walk in, stay for a minute or two and then leave. And it, I've always thought that's kind of cool that they, they they just find a moment, even if they don't have a lot of time, to come in, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a minute or two at adoration is light years better than zero. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but, you know, some of my much older relatives, um, when I call them, no matter what, they don't have a lot to say and sit and talk on the phone. So it is very hello and goodbye with them. Um, but, you know, I know that the visit means a lot to them and it means a lot to me, just those few seconds. And, um, you know, so we're used to thinking like, okay, I want to go, you know, pour my heart out for four hours of adoration. Right. But, um, re- you know, realistically, many people, um, especially uh, me included, um, you know, could benefit from just a couple minutes, just popping in, um, you know, say a few Hail Marys and some Glory Bees, and then just kind of look at Jesus and he'll look back at you and, um, you know, and then and then get back to your tweeting. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but yeah, and so, you know, talk to a confessor, your confessor about this before, uh, you know, making sure that you know, they'll tweak it and they'll kind of say, no, that's, that's lame, you know, do something better. Or they'll say, Hey, you know, this is not, uh, this is not boot camp. you know, mm-hmm. let's, let's dial it back and really, you know, focus on what it is. And then the last thing on the list on the handout is I planned on making a good confession by this day during Lent. And so the idea there is, um, you know, obviously, you know, confession is, is required if, if you find yourself in mortal sin, 
but you you can go to confession, you know, not in the state of mortal sin, and um, you know confess, you know, venial sins, imperfections, weaknesses, um, and, and do like what's called the general confession, where you confess, you know, your past sins of your life. You know, you're you're already forgiven for these, of course, um, just from the one confession, and the eternal punishment is is gone, you know, just from the one confession. You know, every time somebody like horrible dies, I always, you know like to say, you know, what Charles Manson recently died. And I said, you know, he was never more than just one confession away from, you know, sainthood. Sure. Lowercase as sainthood, surely. But, you know, it was never more than, you know, a minute in the box and he could have all eternity in heaven. Um, so you have to know that. But then for these general confessions, you know, you just pop in and you, um, you go through it. And those are better usually to schedule with the priest. unless you know that, that there's lots of time, you know, you wouldn't do that, um, you know, in the five minutes before mass, when, when the priests are usually in the confessional, it, you know, it would be, you know, after mass or right. you know, after communion when there's nobody like, you know, leading up to communion. If you have a priest in the confessional during mass at our parish, um, since we have the four priests, we're able to do that. And, uh, I'm always like until communion is distributed, you know, try to be quick so that more people can hopefully go to communion. But after that, you know, you can take your time cause you know, there's sure. Uh, going to be um so yeah doing that is good or you can do like a partial general confession where you say you know i'm going to confess you know um you know sins of the tongue like if i gossip a lot you know i'll go and confess you know gossiping blasphemy profanity vulgarity um you know that kind of stuff lying um it doesn't have to be your whole life but it can and, and if you find a priest that's really good with this they can guide you through it and it, it can help you see you know, where God's grace has been acting in your life, where, where you need more of it. And you get, you know, it's kind of, you know, after uh, you break a bone, you know, that bone has, you know, is wrapped up and it, it, that bone becomes stronger because, you know, it, it broke last time. So it can't just be, you know, back to where it was before the break. You've got to have a stronger. And that's where these these types of confessions are, are great. Because if you haven't re, you haven't fallen back into the sin, um, but you go confess it, you get more grace to keep you out of it. And so, um, you know, that's one of the neat things about, about Lent. Um, yeah. So you've already kind of worked this out with Father Blockchain? Yeah, I, I had a few things I was thinking about doing and I was just kind of running it by him because I, so I, Obviously, you have to give up something, but I want I, and I also didn't want to do the cheap thing of well, instead of giving up something, I'm just going to try and do something, right? Because that uh, that never works out. No one in the history of Lent has ever successfully done that. You oh. know, what's no, up? I mean, I, I personally have never I've never been successful at that. Every time I've tried to add, it's been like eleven fifty nine or twelve ten the next day, and I realized I didn't do the thing. Sure, I didn't do the thing. Well, so, so yeah, the the idea is you have to you have to give up something. You have to make a sacrifice. But what I within the past few years talking with my spiritual director is the point. So if you give up social media, which I'm I'm not doing this year. Um. Some someone has oh, to. Oh yeah, last year I kept sending you screenshots of tweets, and you were like, "Stop tempting me." 
Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So, but the, so the point is, was to give up social media, but then replace the time that I would be looking at social media with something better. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not only making a sacrifice, but it's taking that time or that effort you would put into that thing and spinning it into something that helps you grow in virtue or just helps you grow in general. So that's where the idea of, well, I'm, I'm not going to give up something. I'm going to try and do something is partially correct. It's not completely correct because you still want to make the sacrifice, but you also want to add on to it. So the what I was speaking with him today about was making sure I had the sacrifices in line, but also trying to kind of come up with an idea of how to grow in a virtue, which could mean extra sacrifice or it could mean taking that time, filling that that gap of time with something different. So with social media, if you spend a lot of time on Twitter, but you give up Twitter for Easter, you can use that time to read. If you're not, if you're not doing any reading, use that time to read or use that time for, if you go to your phone and you pull up Twitter give that up, go to your phone and pull up Ladate and look up prayers, right? So it's... Yes, it's, the Ladate app. We need to put everyone download the Ladate app, pause the podcast, download it now. Okay, yeah. Continue. So so you're still... You can't use that as a crutch. You shouldn't, you shouldn't just replace the obsession with Twitter for the obsession of Ladate. You should use it properly. You know what I'm trying to say? So it's the give and take of the sacrifice, but also using that sacrifice to grow in a virtue. Yeah. So so with me, I, I don't, I'm not going to say specifically what I'm doing because I don't necessarily think right. you should shout what you're, what you're doing. But um, so with me, it's, I have a few things I'm going to give up and then I'm, basically going to make a list of five things I have to do every day. And it's things that I should be doing or I kind of do sometimes already, but it's just a thing that before I go to sleep every day, I have to have done these five things. And it, so it, it, for me, it's more of to help me grow and constancy or get have a regimen just something that i'm not just filling my time with fluff Mm -hmm. so you know it it i don't want to act i don't want to be kind of flippant when i say you shouldn't just say oh well i'm gonna i'm gonna work on doing instead of giving up well do that but also give something up right and when then it's it, countercultural, right? Too to like because you know, we have this sort of treat yourself culture, um, and and this sort of obsession with self care, uh, and you know, just saying, well, I want this, but I'm not going to take this, and I, this is fine. You know, it's totally getting on Twitter or you know, um, you know, whatever it is, 
is completely morally, you know, it's morally good. Um, but you know, I'm going to give this up for, for, you know, a greater good. And it's not because it's evil. You know, obviously we, we just need to give up evil stuff because, because it's evil. You know, we don't wait till Lent to, to stop, you know, blaspheming or something. Right. Um, I'm going to give up blasphemy for Lent. Yeah. Like you, you can't fast from sin. Obviously that's, (laughs) you know, you just can't ever do it. So it's not really giving up what you could never have. But, uh, yeah, you know, but it's countercultural. I mean, you would hear people, you know, think that it was, you know, tantamount to, you know, harming yourself to to just say no every so often to right. something that you can totally lawfully have and is good to have throughout the year and just say, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying no. Um, wildly countercultural, is, even if it's, you know, that simple. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Cal- oh, I will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, Catholics are basically the only people that give up stuff during Lent too, right? Like the like Protestant no. faiths, they they kind of don't focus on the giving up, do they? Uh, I mean, I, I the Methodist church that I, the Methodist community I grew up in was, yeah. I mean, you kind of gave up something for Lent, and I think um, the Episcopalians, if if you can find one, they they give up stuff for Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know about some of the others because, you know, without the, the, the church's theology of, um, of merit and without a sort of classic, um, Aquinas understanding of, of human psychology, right. uh, the practice is totally meaningless. And so, you know, abs- neither of those two things are really exist much outside the, the Catholic church. And so, you know, it's different, but actually, yeah, I mean, sort of just out of a, you know, this is what Christians did type thing. We did give things up and, um, you know, I, I knew a couple Episcopalian families, uh, in high school and they even, they even like fasted on Good Friday. And so there will be some, I mean, I don't know if that stuff persists until today, because obviously that was a completely different, um, era of Protestantism, you know, being back in the the you know, pre you know twenty two thousand and two thousand ten time period, um, but uh, there, there'll be some you know, but it, it is kind of a different reason because there isn't the concept of again, there's not the concept of merit, there's not the concept of mortification, um, and and I don't think that there's much of an embrace of uh, of like philosophical psychology. Okay, because. Um, they're pretty Freudian and all that. Because my, my, I have a friend who's Presbyterian, and I asked her a few years back what she's giving up for Lent, and she basically said, ah, we don't really do that. I was like, all right, yeah. fair enough. And, uh, yeah, and I never asked her again. So it, what have you kind of figured out what you're doing or what's your, what's your process about how you go about this? Because also I should mention – one of the things I'm doing is after last Lent, I kind of thought I started thinking about what I was going to do for this Lent. And I, the first thing that popped into my head was a pretty good one. So I'm going to do that too. So I kind of st- st- have been anxiously awaiting this this challenge for an entire year of one of the things I'm giving up. Well, so. I guess the rest of us will find out at the general judgment. What you did, and and if it worked, um, but we we've got our fingers crossed for you, Matt. Thank you. Uh, 
Um, well, so I think that there's the there is like the public element to Lent um, that that you know I'm comfortable talking about, um, which would be you know basically the church's sort of traditional um, practice with with the fasting and, and abstinence, and sure. you know not eating meat doesn't have the same uh, effect that it that it once did because obviously you know I work in a cubicle. Right. As I always say, I, I can have free-range chicken brought right to my cubicle. Um, <laughs> you always say that? I, I've probably tweeted that like a half dozen times or more. It's nice. Fun. And I actually have a, a haiku about it, too, um, which I can't remember. So, you know, I don't want to. But uh, so, you know, that part, I think, is that obviously if, if no one ever talked about what they did for Lent, we, would, we wouldn't be able to learn from the past. And so... Um, even though uh, I'm not a, a manual laborer and the, the giving up meat doesn't have the practical effect that it, it would have had, it, it does unite me to, to, you know, all of the Catholics, you know, going back to, um, you know, the first Catholics in Acts of the Apostles and, and Peter and James and John and all that, the, you know, the early Catholics that are described in scripture, um, you know, they gave up meat and obviously it talks about how the apostles just ate bitter herbs right um, which may have been adaptogenic herbs oh uh, i see what you uh, did i know but i think herbs actually just meant vegetables back then so. yeah uh anyway um so you know that part public and then yeah i mean i i guess i've talked about uh, i think i'm gonna go off twitter um the the problem is is you know the if it's just to go on Facebook, you know, it's like if that, if it's if that's pointless, I'm gonna really just hash that one out with the my with my confessor, mm-hmm. and um, and then yeah, there's you know there's certain things that I do that I don't really, um, you know, I don't make public because I I just mm-hmm. want you know as scripture says you know certain prayers you just go into your room and, and shut the door, and you know God who sees it will reward you, and so um, you can all find out about that at the general judgment. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my take and I, I try to be as, as uncreative as possible with the core of Lent because that's my, my biggest thing is always trying to put my own stamp on things without realizing that, you know, again, the the saints got to heaven doing it their way. Right. And so I'm going to, you know, no need to put too much faith in my way, uh, considering, um, and then, you know, that's for the, the penance part. And then for devotions, um, my, I guess, favorite, uh, the one that I, I find very edifying is to read the penitential psalms. And so um, we'll list those, but there's seven psalms uh, picked out that are uh, considered the penitential psalms. And you basically, um, with some antiphons and, and some other prayers, you just pray those each day. Or you can break them up and pay one, pray one per week, or you know, pray, you know, two in the morning, three. You know, I mean, you can, you can, you know, chart your own path with this. Sure. But choose your um, own I adventure. Like those. Yes, and then you know, if I can, um, as kind of an extra, the uh, the the sorrowful mother, the Rosary of Our Lady of Sorrows. So it's um, it's the forty nine bead rosary. Mm-hmm. And it's got each of the of Our Lady's seven sorrows, because um, that's the thing is that you know spending Lent with Our Lady um, 
is particularly powerful because you know she stood there as a witness to to every bit of it. Um, you know, she was there when her son, who was perfect, had to face a kangaroo court, be convicted of nothing, uh, stripped naked, and executed in front of his own mom. Um, and well, when you put it, it that way, Zach. Well, I mean, you've got to think through well, what what really happened, right? Um, you know, we we don't romanticize the crucifixion, but we, you know, everything naturally becomes sanitized over time, and so you've got to like keep it in its in its full detail. Sure. Um, you know, it, it was rough, and that's you know, I always like to watch the Mel Gibson movie because the Mel Gibson movie is a, is a um, you know, for the sake of decorum, it's heavily toned down from how you know brutal it really was, but it does show you in good detail. Um, you know, what our Lord went through. And, um, you know, I watched it before I came into the church. And then anytime I've seen it since, um, the the presence of Our Lady in the film is much more powerful and edifying and, and trying to see the whole thing through her eyes. Because, again, you know, she never once, she never questioned the mission. And, you know, it's clear that when our Lord told her, you know, y- you knew this was coming, but here's exactly how, that that she never protested she all she asked was that that she be allowed um to die with him and that was all she asked and um i guess that was the only time that she didn't necessarily uh, have her request granted but she was martyred with him and that's why she's the queen of martyrs right and it fulfills uh the prophets who said you know she would not have pain in childbirth as we know she she suffered no physical pain during our Lord's miraculous birth, but like, her pain like come sunlight at- going through a pane of glass. Yes, uh, but but her pain would come after, and that that's where um, you know she stands at the foot of the cross. Um, and there's the song that gives me allergies, the Sabbat Mater, that um, you know talks through basically Our Lady at her station at the at the cross, and so. Um, you know, it's really powerful and uh, a good devotion. So the, the seven sorrows rosary is, uh, it's like a rosary, except you pray seven Hail Marys per thing. Cause there's seven things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great, uh, it's a practice that I like, and we can maybe share a link to sort of how it works. You can find rosaries made for it, or you can just use seven of your favorite fingers <laughs> and, uh, count it off. Um, Oh, and then the other thing is, so when Our Lady's called the Queen of Martyrs, this is for me. A lot of the spiritual writers will say that, you know, if you took, um, if you took the pain that she experienced at the cross, and you were to divide it up equally among every human who had ever lived, it would it would kill any person who got their share. Um, but but she was able to withstand that because she was the Immaculate Conception. Um, but anybody that had suffered from original sin um, and, and didn't have the perfection of virtue uh, would have it would have died from the the sorrow that she experienced. So, um, isn't that isn't that exciting? Yeah. Um, but it's a good point wow. of reflection, and yeah. that's the nice thing about Lent is is being able to reflect. Um, it, uh, most parishes will do the Stations of the Cross every Friday. Right. Um, and like at our parish, they do a soup meal afterwards. So, um, you know, you don't have to, to be an expert in vegetarian cuisine on Fridays. 
you just pop into the parish and have a meatless meal after stations. Um, so that's kind of neat. Uh, some people, you know, really go out of their way to avoid uh, parties and, you know, general goofiness mm-hmm. during the time. Um, you know, you kind of have to be prudent with that, obviously. You know, you, uh, you're not going to, you know, duck out on your mother's birthday party or something. You know, I mean, you kind of have to, to, to think through how you, how you operate there. Um, but just, you know, in general saying this is once a year, it's just 40 days. And then, you know, we get, uh, as you pointed out in the other episode, we get a longer season afterwards that we're preparing for. Right. Yeah. Great callback to genius thing. I said, yes, we could just, we could publish, we'll have to organize these into chapters and we'll publish the wisdom of Matt Baker. One year, a few years ago, I picked six things and I labeled them one through six. And then every morning when I woke up, I would roll a die or dice and whatever number it landed on was the thing I did for the day. It was, uh, it was pretty nerve wracking every morning I woke up. I think Bug told me about this before I met you because I, I think he, I think he adopted this. What, yeah. he, I think he did this too at one point. Yeah, I think he might have. And it was, it was, uh, I forget what they were. It was like, uh, no meat, cold shower, sleep on the floor, rock in my shoe, which I amended to rock in both my shoes. Um, what else was Rock there? in the shoe is such a good penance. That's on this little tip sheet of penances that yeah. they hand out at our parish. And rock or, or, a popcorn kernel is is the alternative to a rock that I've discovered. Yeah, and you know you're not at risk of injuring yourself, but it just rolls around, and sometimes it's right on the heel. Uh, but you know you're not hurting yourself. It's just you know it's just there. Anyway, go on. I the, like the uh, shoe. one of the one of the numbers was associated with no TV and no internet, which was very unfortunate because this all fell during March Madness. So, of course, on the days I especially wanted to watch basketball was a day I rolled no TV, no internet. So, yeah. I, I just think watching college basketball would be penance, but as you know, I don't acknowledge that sport. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna cut all of this. We can't we can't blaspheme the great college basketball on this podcast. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen. <laughs> oh, you. Oh. Everyone's like, oh, you need to be into it this year. OU is actually good. And, I mean, they're, they're playing well, but they, they haven't won any game, any away games in the year 2018. Oh, man, they have lost so many away games this year. I mean, for, for the year 2018, yeah. 100% yes. as of recording. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That You can't get a higher percentage of that in basketball. 100% is is as high as the percents go. They've won, um, they've won 100% of their games zero percent of the time well yeah it, yeah it's just not obvious. i mean the last two minutes of the game can be interesting i guess but uh you know but i i do like i do like watching thunder basketball and i'm a big fan of, of nba so uh it, it's just for some reason college basketball has always been just like tedious to me 
I'll like make my bracket and be like, can we? I'm gonna take an F during this game. You so, make a bracket, then immediately burn it. No, I did well last. No, I didn't actually. I did terrible last year. <laughs> um. So, do you have any uh, closing statements before we saint of the week and wrap this thing up? Um, I mean, I don't think so. I think just you know, it, it's good to. We've got one more week of of Septuagesima, and. You know, every year I become more convinced that that you know that centuries and centuries of of great saints and popes were right, and, and just how amazing this season is because getting to spend the time really thinking about having an intentional Lent, and you know, so that it's impossible that the Ash Wednesday just sneaks up on us. Right. And so, I mean, I'm still kind of discerning that um, it's a once a year thing. It's sort of your tithe on the year because it 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 works out to about a tenth of the year. Um, and you can tell yourself the whole time it's for Easter and it's going to be over. And when it's Easter, you know, I'm going to love, you know, taking back up whatever it was that I, that I gave up for Lent. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it was just, it's cool. And, you know, it's very countercultural. Our, our culture tells you to, to give in and give yourself everything you possibly want. And so it, it's a really neat way to, to step out. And it, I, I also like that it, it brings together, I would say, a lot of different sort of factions, if you will, within the church. You know, we're all, we're all Catholic, of course, but um, you know, people who have very different views on things are all kind of on the same page about the importance of the Lent. And so, it's a neat season, as much as it's you know sackcloth and ashes. It's it's a, a very you know blessed time. And so, sure. um, I'll be praying for for you and for all of our listeners that they have a holy lent and that they come out a saint on the other side and uh we're not giving up the podcast so we'll be we'll be you know checking in through then and there's you know some finer points on the liturgy that we want to talk about liturgically uh as they sort of happen so th- there's a lot of of neat things up the church's sleeves for for lent um which we'll hear more about and uh we'll post that neat handout to help kind of discern what to do and um, yeah, make it count 40 days to, uh, to tell, to say, I love you, God, and make, make sure they count. Oh, and the quote, sorry. I've got the, the quote from Don Garen, Garen J, the, the man who wrote the, the 15 volume liturgical year book. So he says, more than a hundred years have elapsed since, oh, Backing up. <laughs> um, so Pope Benedict XIV has this quote. He says, The observance of Lent is the very badge of the Christian warfare. By it, we prove ourselves not to be enemies of the cross of Christ. By it, we avert the scourges of divine justice. By it, we gain strength against the princes of darkness, for it shields us with heavenly help. Should mankind grow remiss in their observance of Lent, it would be a detriment to God's glory, a disgrace to the Catholic religion, and a danger to Christian souls. Neither can it be doubted that such negligence would become the source of misery to the world, of public calamity, and of private woe. And that was from uh, 1741. So writing uh, just a bit over 100 years later, 
what Dom Garanger says is more than a hundred years have elapsed since the solemn warning of the Vicar of Christ. Uh, during that time, the relaxation he invaded against has gone on gradually increasing. How few Christians do we meet who are strict observers of Lent, even in its present mild form? And so that was when there was mandatory daily fasting, abstinence most of the week, et cetera, et cetera. That's when Dom Garanger is writing this. And so I just think that's that's neat, especially just, again, Lent is the very badge of Christian warfare, according to, you know, close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we can wrap up on that, and that's somebody much smarter and more uh, eloquent than, than us. So I think that's, yeah, there we go. Saint of the Week is Saint Scholastica. Saint Scholastica, the patron saint of book fairs, right? Yes, I'm glad you went there. Someone, someone, one of us had to. Saint Scholastica is actually the twin sister of Benedict of Nursia. Her feast day is February 10th, and she is the patron saint of nuns, of books, of reading, of school. Wait, like nuns? Nuns close the like nuns period. N U N S. Whoa. Okay. So I mean that's like. Okay. Anyway, go on. She's that's the. Cool. She's also the patron saint of convulsive children. Uh huh. And is invoked against storms and rain. So a little story on that. Her brother. Saint, saint Benedict. Benedict so there's a the commonly most commonly told story is that she would once a year go and visit her brother at a place nearby his abbey, and they would spend the day worshiping together and discussing sacred texts and current issues, current or is that what you, that's what you do when you visit your siblings, right? Yes, once a year I go to <laughs> visit my brothers and we discuss the sacred texts of football and uh, sports. One day, one day they had supper and they were talking, but then Benedict indicated that it was time for him to leave. Scholastica asked him to stay with her for the evening so they could continue their discussions, but not wishing to break his own rule about where, where he was and how late he stayed and who he was with, Benedict refused, insisting that he needed to return to his cell. At that point, Scholastica closed her hands in prayer, and after a moment, a wild storm started outside of the guest house in which they were housed. Benedict asked, What have you done? To which she replied, I asked you, and you would not listen, so I asked my God, and he did listen. So now go off if you can, leave me, and return to your monastery. But Benedict was unable to return to his monastery, so they spent the night together in discussion. Three days later, from his cell, he saw his sister's soul leaving the earth and ascending to heaven in the form of a shining white dove. Benedict then had her body brought to his monastery, where he caused it to be laid in a tomb which he had prepared for himself. So, she that's why she is invoked against storms and rain, because she conjured up a storm to keep her brother in the house. Wow. I mean, uh, further proof that, that all Catholic women are 
are superheroes. Well, no, superheroes uh, wish that they were as powerful exactly. as, as faithful Catholic women. Um, uh, wow, that's incredible. Um, I had, I knew that St. Scholastica was St. Benedict's sister. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Benedictines, you know, Benedict is quite the saint. Sure. Uh, as far as saints go. I didn't know any of that, though. So that's um, that's cool. All right. Well, so, yeah, it's actually storming here. So may have to give her a call after we wrap up the podcast. Hunker down so and Scholastica. hunker down and prepare for a wild ride, Zach. For sure. St. Scholastica, pray for us. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been this, this week's episode. We'll talk to you next week when we start up Lent. We'll have some, uh, I don't know. I guess we could do a non-Lent episode. We already, we already prepared for Lent, so we'll talk about something else next week. Yeah, because we'll probably get it in before Ash Valentine's Day. So, yeah. uh, yep, until next time, we'll be praying for you. Pray for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah.